What's up, people of the cross? How we doing? Hey, I'm pumped to be here with Benji Cash. Say, what's up, Benji? Now the, now the question is, was I saying that to you or to them? Say, what's up, Benji? Sorry. That was funny in my head when it came out. Those words were not funny. Um, so Benji is a Cash, um, and he's the second oldest of the Cash clan, and uh, we thought it'd be cool to get him up here and uh, tell his story with you a little bit. And so if you don't know Benji before now, you're going to know him pretty good. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy our time here. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so Roll. Benji, um, I've known Benji since I started here about four years ago. And um, I'm his beard mentor. And um, he's doing well. Don't, don't talk about the mustache. Mustache is a lot better. Okay. I over-mentored you in the mustache area. Um, and uh, um, I just really grown to love this guy, and um, his story is powerful. And we decided to tell his story today in a little bit of a uh, different way than we would tell most people's. Benji has a, a passion for several things in his life, baseball and um, working out and uh, tattoos is a big one. And in fact, his passion for tattoos grew and he convinced his mom to get one and other ladies in the church. Like, it's really... We're going to take a, just a group trip to my tattoo artist in a couple we, of weeks. We'll have a we, sign-up we sheet can just bring in the him back. Up here. Or we could just bring him up here on Churches a Wednesday. Churches have like artists sometimes. We'll just have somebody going, That's right. ah, no! Yeah, we'll just set him up in the back. Okay. So we decided that uh, um, we'd tell his story through his tattoos. And so, um, Benji... Do you have anything to say before we hop into this sucker? Yeah, when we first, a uh, couple, I guess, weeks ago, Dad was like, hey, you want to give your testimony? And I was like, absolutely not. I'm scared to death to get up on stage. And he was like, well, here, you're going to do it anyways. And I was like, who needs to learn how to swim in the shallow, man? We'll just throw you into the ocean with the sharks. So uh, Nick's my life vest today, so that's why we're Hanging doing out. this together. <laughs> All right, it's going to be fun. All right, so um, Benji, you grew up playing baseball, right? Dad's a baseball player. You yep. grew up with... Smolty sitting at your dinner table and, you know, I mean, you lived and breathed baseball and uh, um, this has been a big chunk of your life, right? Yeah. I mean, it's since I was four years old, it's, it's all I've ever known. It's all I've ever wanted to do. People used to say, hey, if baseball doesn't work out, what do you want to do? I don't know. I guess I'll get there when we get there. I didn't really have a backup plan like everybody thought I should have. Um, so, so it was... So let's show, okay, so you started You started really liking tattoos, uh, you said about 16 years old. 16 years old, I remember we were down in Florida, and I was like, I want a tattoo. So, of course, mom and dad at 16 years old are like, absolutely not. So, like, you got to wait for a while. Um, so I had one drawn up in high school when I was younger, and I was like, that's going to be my first one. And... It ended up not being my first one. This ended up being my first one. Thank God, because I got a big one on my back. And if I'd have gotten that one to start with, I would have never gotten another one in my life because it hurt so bad. So we started nice and small, which made Mama kind of happy. She still wasn't thrilled about it, but it made it a little bit easier being smaller. So this one was really just kind of a gateway tattoo. We're like, we're just going to get one now, and then poof, we're just going to keep on rolling. So Who can testify that that's a real thing? You get one. Corey Johnson then, better raise your hand. Yeah. <laughs> raise both of them. <laughs> Uh, so this was just kind of the, the gateway one here. And I got it because, so growing up, you know, all I knew was, was about God and about baseball. And there were obviously other things, but those were the two 
kind of pinnacle things in our home. Um, so I got that, had a guy draw it up for me, and uh, the family and friends in the banner with them kind of resting in it just represents the support that my family and my friends gave me in my faith and in my baseball while growing up. Because uh, at that time, you know, like I said, those are the two most important things. So wasn't really a deep one there. Um, I try to have all of the, the ink on my body have a meaning. Um, and I'm sure eventually I'll have some that maybe don't, but started out, it's like, if I'm going to get it, it's going to mean something. I'm going to have a purpose for it and not just get one just to get one and then be like, oh crap, I you know, really can't erase it once it's there. So, um, I had this Waffle House waitress one time and she had, she had four tattoo names down her arm and they all were crossed out. No, no joke. We're not, no we're not going down that road. No names. Stay away from names. It's a bad idea. That's at your mom. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Um, I'd say, all right, so we grew up loving baseball. Um, wh- when did you first get saved, like, as a kid? I was a head case as a kid. So growing up, I was like, I got saved. And I was like, oh, hell really scared me. So I got saved again. And then time and time again, I'd freak out one night and run upstairs and say, mom and dad, I don't know if I'd meant it the last time we do it again. And it was just this pattern. And finally, when I was... So in middle school or high school, I was like, okay, this is the last time I'm going to do it. Let this be the real time. And, you know, I, I would have said years ago, yes, I have a personal relationship with the Lord. I've prayed, accepted Christ, and I'm saved. And I believe that I was then, but it wasn't real to me. You know, a lot of my faith was based off of dad being in ministry and, and being homeschooled at a younger age, you know, always around my mom. Kind of the way that they brought brought us up was my my religion and my faith walk, right? What I couldn't, couldn't do, uh, what I was and wasn't allowed to watch. Sarah Yox gets mad at us because we're sheltered children because we haven't seen The Wizard of Oz. So we uh, weren't allowed to see and watch certain things. Uh, so it was, you know, kind of guarded. And that was my relationship with the Lord for the longest time. All right. So let's look at your second tattoo. Okay. Can we throw that up here? These slowly get more painful, it feels like. They do. It's very, very, very painful. Uh, I got the script quite a few years ago. Recently added the wings. It all goes together. But So this is kind of where things kind of start getting real for me. Uh, I got it when I was, I think right before I turned like 19 or something. But Isaiah 40, 31 says, For those that wait upon the, uh, the Lord, I will renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. And I remember seeing that. Uh, dad's parents have it um, above their bathroom, above the toilet in their house. And so when I'd go down there to go to the bathroom, let's just be real, I would stand there and not much else to look at. So I memorized that verse when I was down there. Um, so I go to the bathroom a lot. So uh, we uh, memorized it there. And I always kind of thought, oh, that'd be cool to get tattooed eventually. Like, I like them. It's a cool verse. You know, whatever. So once, uh, once I got off to school, I left to go play ball at Middle Tennessee, and I felt like, you know, it was kind of how I got seen and got signed was, was way a God thing. I mean, it, just, it was just kind of really, really random how it happened, and I was like, that's a God thing. So I get up there, I start playing, and immediately after I get up there, I blow up my arm, um, blow up my elbow. It was, you know, pretty bad and had to have a very lengthy and a um, surgery and rehab process. And through all that, I had it, I got to school in August. 
October I blow out, November I have surgery, and I get, I, mean, I just get really, really mad and angry at God. Like, why? Why is this happening? I feel like I'm here for a reason. Like, you guided me here to play and to pursue this dream, and now I'm up here, and you're taking it away from me. Like, what did I do to piss you off that I can't pursue my dream anymore? Like, like why, why is this happening to me? And I was just on this pity party for me over and over and over again. And at that time, that verse, for whatever reason, would just constantly run through my mind without even thinking of it. It'd just be like, if you wait upon the Lord, I'll renew your strength. If you wait upon the Lord, I'll renew your strength. I'll renew your strength, I'll renew your strength. And at that time, that's the only thing that I cared about. That's the only thing that mattered to me. I was like, I want to play ball. And to do that, I need my arm strengthened. So I really memorized that verse and got it tattooed initially as almost kind of like, God, like you said, you'd heal me, so do it. Okay, like I'm going to read my Bible because you say you'll heal me, so do it. I'm going to pray so you'll heal my arm, so do it, right? So for the longest time, the verse became, okay, I'm going to do these things because I want you to do something for me, not because my heart's in it, but because I'm trying to get something out of it. Um, And so although it was a good reminder to have, um, my initial purpose of getting it was very selfish in, in the roots of it. Do you want to go to the next, or you want to talk a little bit about some of that rebellion? Yeah. Um, so I go. So like I said, my my faith was so much based in in a in a kind of a guarded. Um, I don't know. What I was, not to do. Yeah. What not to do. And obviously, I knew what I was supposed to do, but I was just kind of walking in the trail that had already been set, right? And I always had somebody to kind of pat me along whenever I started kind of venturing off the path. So I get off to school and. The normal, um, like Dad's talked about, the culture, you know, that I that I'm around and playing ball is a very dark culture. You know, everything is. You got money, you got fame, notoriety. We're gonna go to parties. We're gonna chase women. We're going to do whatever satisfies, you know, our bodies, right? Whatever satisfies and is fun for a little while. Do it because you're here by yourself. Who's gonna tell you not to do it? Our coaches, as long as we show up to practice the next day, they don't care. I mean, they don't care what, how bad the dugout smells and they don't care, you know, as long as we're there, right? So just show up and then the rest of it, whatever. So that was normal to me and I'd never done it. So I was like, well, let's see what it's all about. Let's go out every weekend. Let's start pounding alcohol. Let's start chasing after girls. Let's start figuring out everything and trying to see what it was like that I've been, you know, I thought sheltered to my whole life, even though you know, I didn't realize for me that it was for my benefit that I'd never been exposed to that. And for the first time, it's like, you can do it, right? There's no, nobody's saying don't. If anything, everybody's saying do it. And if you don't do it, you're weird. You know, see you later. We don't really want much to do with you. So it's like, well, I'm trying to fit in doing this now. So just started running. Um, and it it got bad, right? Yeah. I mean, almost got arrested uh, when I was... I don't know, maybe 19 or so, 18, 19, 19 maybe. And, I mean, and you really link that back to this this feeling that God abandoned you in your what you saw as your right. path. Yeah, and, and, as, and as I continued to run, it's like my heart became more and more calloused every single day to the point to where I was like, what's the point in even praying anymore? What's the point in opening up my Bible? I would maybe once a month out of, like, obligation, feeling guilty, like, all right, I should probably at least open it up, you know, get my get my two cents in. Um, kind of patch that band-aid up over my life for a little bit and just so I can bust that wound back open next week, right? And I became so callous to the point where I was like, God doesn't even care to hear from me. Like if I start praying and start confessing sin and start trying to read, like 
last thing he's going to do is hear from me because I know, he knows, next weekend I'm going to do the same thing. So what's the point asking forgiveness now if I know I'm just going to keep living in this pattern? So I stopped completely. Didn't go to church, didn't pray, nothing. And I became just very calloused and hard and cold to anything that had to do with the faith. Now, if you ask me, oh man, yeah, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. And really? No. You know, when it comes down to it, when, you, when you're sitting in your room by yourself at night, you know, what, what, is, what does your life really look like? You know, that's a true test of character. When no one's looking, who are you? Was I walking with the Lord? Absolutely not. Um, and what's cool about that is, you know, you talk about this verse, you have tattooed on your arm that really, I mean, you got it there for, you wanted a tattoo and you're like, well, I probably won't regret a verse. And I know this one because I go to the bathroom at my grandparents' house. And, and, but through this whole time, you have this, this verse is just God's pursuit of you. It keeps coming up. You keep seeing it in this uh, idea that he didn't give up on you. And I think we can all identify with this thought process of like, well, what's the point? Because I'm probably going to screw this up the next week, you know? Right. And everybody in here has dealt with that thought process. Yeah. And um, so there is hope, people. There is hope. You got something you want to jump to the next one? We'll keep rolling. Let's look at this one. This is, this is where they start getting big. Yeah, mom, she was a little floored on walking with this one. Um, not too pumped about the size, but... When she saw the verse, she was like, well, it's kind of hard to get mad at that. So it worked out. Um, so through, through all of what I just said, I finally got to a point in June of 2014 to where I broke. And I was like, I can't keep doing this anymore. I know it's right. I know it's wrong. I have scripture tattooed on me at this point. I'm going to parties. I can't think straight, but people are like, oh, you have a tattoo. What does it say? Well, I'm going to start reciting scripture you know, while I'm under the influence, and that just used to eat at me. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you know better. You know what's right and what's wrong, and you're deliberately just spitting in God's face. And I finally got to a point laying in my apartment. I was like, I've had enough. I'm done. I'm not going to run anymore. And Lord, I was like, if I don't ever play ball again, and if that's, you know, my point of surrender, then that's fine. Like, if I just want to, all I want to do is pursue you and know who you are. And for the longest time, I was so reluctant to surrender because baseball is all I'd ever known. And like I said, you know, people would say, what's your backup plan? I don't have one. So the thought of surrendering to the Lord and him saying, I got a different plan for your life. I'm like, what if I don't want to do that? What if that's not what I enjoy? And he takes baseball from me. And so I'm not going to do it because he might take the only thing I love away. And I got to the point where I was like, I don't care anymore. I don't care if I play anymore. If my arm heals, if it doesn't heal, whatever. Like, I have to know you for, for who you are. It can't be based off of what mom and dad tell me anymore. Like, I want to dig into your word, and I want to know who you are. So laying there that night, I said, God, I give it to you. Everything, I surrender it to you once and for all. And I thought, well, what better way to profess that than get it big neon letters tattooed on my arm for the rest of life. So it's kind of undeniable, like, what I, you know, what I think and believe. And going through that, um, you know, I would open up the Bible so many times and read and not understand and read and kind of close it and say a prayer and, you know, that kind of be that, um, you know, I was talking to a guy last week, and we were praying with him, like, praying, and he, he had recently accepted the Lord into his life. And I was praying, like, Lord, give him eyes, because he was saying, I don't understand. When I open up the Bible, I don't know what it means. It doesn't make any sense to me, <clears throat> right? And, and when we kind of go into it not expecting anything, we go into it with blind eyes, looking at a bunch of words, and what does it mean? It means nothing to us. But when we start going into our quiet time or in our reading, 
saying, God, like, give me your eyes to see this. Like, I want to see your word through your eyes, not through my eyes. Because through my eyes, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what you're trying to tell me, right? But if I can transform my reading into, Lord, give me your eyes, right? Let me experience you in this. You start opening up and flipping through, and it's like every single time, like, the Lord's going to speak to you and show you something, right? So I began to learn what it, what it looked like to, to get into the Word and read with His eyes, to pray with His breath, right? To start trying to walk with His feet. And I'd never done that before, and so I was trying to figure that out on my own. And, um, yeah. Are you <laughs> sure you've never talked in front of people before? I was you're scared very, to very death the first time. And um, I'm still a little little fidgety. <laughs> um, I think what, what's cool in your story, and I, I've heard this from 20-year-olds to 60-year-olds just being in ministry, this idea of I'm not sure I can fully surrender because uh, something might be taken out of my path that's in my plan, or I might then be considered a freak show or, or something. This idea of I'm going to dabble because that feels safe, but I won't, uh, I don't fully let go. And um, I mean, kudos to you to say I'm not going to just dabble in this anymore. I'm going to... Um, dive straight in. Cause I know out here there's people hearing that going, dang it. I want to dive straight in, I just, I, but are fighting with that very thought. Yeah. What's going to be taken from me. And you told, uh, we didn't talk about this the first service, but, um, you said you had like a little revelation about God. Can we jump there real quick? You know what I'm talking about? You said, you said to your dad, um, today I realized God. Yeah. Some of the, like the timeless truth. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so that. a couple of weeks, months ago, whenever dad was going through, talking about, well, you know, what's your timeless truth? And Patrick Newton and a couple of people came up and was like, God has shown me this, and this, you know, is basically my life with Christ wrapped up in a bubble. And I was driving home one night, and I was like, I've realized that my timeless truth is that God is worthy of me putting my trust in. Like, he's worthy of, of trust. And that's the biggest thing I've struggled with for a long time, whether it's even with people or especially you know, with God is like, are you trustworthy? Like, can I really trust you to do something? You know, can I trust you to heal my arm? Can I trust you with whatever it is that, that you, you know, you're going through? And, and um, time and time again, and we'll get into one of the next ones here in a few minutes of where the Lord really showed me I'm trustworthy, right? Like, if you trust me, if, I, if you feel a calling in your heart and, and you see a door open and you're scared to walk through because you can't see the light inside of the room, Walk through it anyways, because if I'm opening up a door, it's for you to walk through. And if I need to close the door, well, don't put your arm and hold that door open. You know, if I'm trying to close it, he goes, let that door shut, because some doors have to close so that other doors can open. All right, if we're gonna, just going to stand in the same doorway our whole lives, I'm like, uh, I'm going to keep that one pushed open, and we'll hold this one here, because that's what's comfortable, and that's what's safe. I will stay there your whole life, then, and be miserable, right? Don't grow. Don't go any deeper. You know, complacency is the death of success. For anything, spiritually, physically, mentally, whatever. If we stay complacent, you're not getting any better. You're not getting any worse. So what's the point then, right? So sometimes you got to allow those doors to close and allow God to open other doors and have that trust to to walk through those doors sometimes. That's a good word right there. That's a good word. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about, like, your elbow and what you've gone through there. So my – I get to school August of 2013 – um, October, I blow out my elbow. November, I have surgery. Very, very intense. Tommy John surgery is, it's a very extensive surgery. Basically, they're just going to redo your elbow. It's a long rehab. Like six or seven months into that, I have a bone spur taken out of my tricep. 
Um, that was like in July. I finally start playing the following spring, and six outings in, I blow up my arm again. I have to have another Tommy John surgery, which is another 12 to 16-month rehab. So my dream, the only thing I've ever wanted to do in my life is like, okay, like here it is, and you, you, it's going to be right there at the tip of the table. It's like seeing a dog. You get a biscuit on there, and you tell the dog, don't eat it, and he's just going to sit there and just mope and look at it forever until you tell him he can go eat it. And I felt like it's right there, but I can't, I can't get it because I keep, things keep happening and, and holding me back. Um, and so, you know, I, through all these surgeries and stuff, it hindered me from you know, doing what it was that I wanted to do, pursuing my dream. I wasn't able to do it because I kept, you know, getting put under the knife and cut into. So let's look at this next one because it's kind of related. <clears throat> okay, so the next one was the Jehovah Rapha. It's the, it's the script one, the smaller one. And where that tattoo is used to be my Tommy John scar. And it was, it was pretty lengthy. It had been cut into a couple times, so it was fairly big. Um, and it's kind of cool that it got covered up through that. But so going through all these surgeries, I'll never forget when I was – when I was a lot younger, I was probably 11, 12, 13, however old I was, mom had been sick with some sort of respiratory kind of infection deal. And she wasn't able to breathe very well. She couldn't get a deep breath. And she was just, she, she was gasping for air a lot of the time. And I remember we were sitting in the living room one afternoon and she comes out from taking a nap and she was crying and she goes, uh, you know, I was laying there, I haven't been able to breathe, and I haven't been able to get a deep breath. And I just began praying, Jehovah Rapha, God, God, my healer, right? Jehovah means God is, Rapha means healer, physician, restorer. So she's like, Jehovah Rapha, will you please heal, like, give me air to breathe because I'm so restricted and I can't breathe right now. And she said it was like instantly she felt like an air pump was like <sighs> blowing air back into her lungs. And she's like, I was able to get a deep breath for the first time in days. And I never forgot that. Ever. And I think it was because the Lord knew down the road that it was going to speak so much to me. And so going through all these surgeries, um, I just constantly kept thinking, Jehovah Rapha, God, you are my healer, my restorer. So please heal me. Please heal me. Please heal me. You know, God, if you say that's true, then please do it. And, you know, for the longest time, I didn't trust that it was necessarily possible, but I continued to pray it. So, um, couple months, I got this a couple days after Christmas a year or two ago. I think it was maybe last year. So last November, I'd been reading through passages in Matthew that were talking about trusting in the Lord, right? And Matthew 21, the, Jesus and the disciples are coming back from Jerusalem. And it says Jesus was hungry. So he walks over to a fig tree to pick fruit off of it, and there's no fruit. And God said, if you can't bear any fruit, wither and die. And they said, instantly, the tree just withered, died, and was gone. The disciples were freaking out. They're like, how the heck did you do that? And he said, if you have faith and you don't doubt me, even you can tell the, the, the tree to wither and die, and it will. Or you can tell the mountains to cast themselves into the ocean, and it will be done. Like, if you have faith and don't doubt me, right, don't doubt me that you can even do that. And again, it, you know, it talks about having faith the size of a mustard seed. You know, you can move mountains. And so... For the longest time, I was sitting here contemplating, like, what does that look like? Like, what does it really look like to trust God with no doubt? Like, if I walk out to that Bradford pear tree in our yard, and I say, die, it's probably going to still be standing there after. I'm going to look like an idiot kind of standing up my yard yelling, die, to a tree that's fully alive, right? And so I was like, is that even possible? Is that a real thing? Could I really 
tell a tree to die or, or move mountains with faith just so little. It says faith with no doubt, but it also says faith the size of a mustard seed. So I was like, will these things not happen because I do have doubt that they might not, right? I have that hint of doubt, so maybe it won't work. And I was dealing, I, I was just fighting with that because I wanted so bad healing in my arm. I was like, God, do I really trust you to heal my arm? Like, like I want to, but is, is it not being healed because there's that hint of doubt in the back of my mind? And so in November, I was, I was sitting in a deer stand one morning. I hadn't really seen much all year. I'm sitting there and I'm, nothing's moving. So I'm just, I'm just thinking about this. And I said, all right, I'm going to try this then. I said, Lord, I believe 100% in my mind, without a doubt, that in the next 60 seconds, you're going to allow a deer to walk out and be killed. Right? I hadn't really seen much all year. The deer were very sparse where I was. And I was like, but I believe you're going to bring me a deer to kill. So I started counting down, 60, 59, 58, all the way down to zero. And I said, all right, where is it? And I started looking around, and sure enough, a deer comes walking right down this gully, right out in front of me, stops, broadside, boom, gone. So later that afternoon, I'm driving down the truck, and the Lord grabs a hold of me. He goes, now trust me with things in your life that are more important than a stinking deer. If you can trust me with no doubt that I'll bring you a deer just so you can have the joy of doing that, trust me with something in your life that actually matters, like healing your arm. All right? Trust me with your faith. Trust me with your body, with your arm. Trust me. A deer, it doesn't matter. It's insignificant. Your life is significant. So trust me with something that matters. So I got home, um, or... That was earlier, so then I decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to get Jehovah Rapha tattooed on my arm, then I'm going to put that I trust that you're my healer, and so I'm going to get it. And so originally I was like, I'm going to get it above the scar, up here, so it wouldn't be touching the scar, and I was like, that's just kind of what's going to happen. And every Sunday morning um, last year before I left this summer, me and Corey Johnson would go to the gym, and we'd lift every morning before church. And for whatever reason, you know, Corey couldn't come this morning, and it ended up you know, really working out because I was sitting there lifting this morning and it's the most vivid I've probably ever heard God really speak to me in my heart. You know, I hear this quiet whisper, you know, I felt God said something to me. It's like, no, like God was, he was talking to me without a doubt this time. And I know for a fact, and I'm sitting here lifting, not even really thinking about getting this tattoo later that afternoon. And he said, if you really trust me that I'm your healer and your restorer, he said, you will get that tattoo put over your scar. And I said, nah, well, let's tap the brakes right there. I said, that's, that's not happening, right? And he's like, well, why not? He's like, if you don't get the tattoo put over your scars, because deep down inside, you're scared that something's going to happen. They're going to have to go back into that scar, cut you back open, and then we're going to be back at square one again. So that's, that's pretty accurate right there. Yeah, I'm scared. I'm still scared. He said, well, if you're going to profess that you trust me, he's like, why won't you trust me to heal that scar and close it forever? He said, if you really trust that I'm Jehovah Rapha, that I'm your healer, he said, you will seal that scar forever with the fact that I am capable and trustworthy of healing your arm. And I'm sitting there that morning thinking, oh, God, like, I really don't want to do this. Like, I'm feeling sick to my stomach. Like, God, I just wanted to work out. Why'd you, you know, why'd you have to interrupt me? Um, So I was like, all right. Uh, I guess I'll, I guess I'll get it put over the scar. And so I get home that, that afternoon, come to church, get home that afternoon before I was going to go get it done. And I was telling this to mom and dad and, you know, dad goes, you need to go journal that down. You need to write that down somewhere so that you can look back and won't ever forget it. Mom looked over and goes, yeah, cause getting it tattooed on his arm for the rest of his life is not going to remind him <laughs> of the conversation he just had with God. Like, who needs a journal? You'll lose that. Kind of hard, you know. That's going to be there forever. Um, 
so anyway, so that was, that was probably the most, even through just that talk that morning, just a constant reminder, even throughout this, the last couple of months when, when my arm has flared up and things look like they're not really working out. It's like, you remember when I told you that I'm trustworthy, that I was going to heal that scar forever? He's like, well, trust me, I'm going to take care of it. And I know without a doubt, people might say, well, you know, you just kind of think it might, you know, they might have to cut back in it again. I said, no, no, no. I said, if you, when, once you've heard the Lord's voice and you really know it's the Lord's voice, it's like you're not going to believe what anybody else says, right? So I know the Lord said that, right? I know that he promised to seal that scar forever. It's like, well, why worry about it now? If it hurts, well, take some Advil, right? But I'm going to heal that scar or seal that scar forever. So, th- I mean, this is a long journey of struggle and fight and emotion and all these things. And so there's struggles like that out here amongst all these people, right? There's people in dark valleys. And um, what would you say to them about the value of struggle and the, even the value inside those dark times? Yeah, so Romans 5, 5 through 8, starting in verse 4. Um, verse 4 says, we glorify God in our well-beings, right? When everything's great. When the sun's shining, when we have money, when our family's good, we're going to praise God. He says, okay. Now, this is where a lot of people want to skip over. It says, but not only so, you also got to glorify God in your suffering. It's like, ah, that sucks. Like, we don't really want to do that. He said, because in your suffering, that's where your perseverance and your character and your hope is built. Right? And so for me, playing sports and and loving training and and the grind of everything, it's like, I love, I know that for, for my physical attributes to get better. I got to break my body down. I have to be sore. My muscles have to tear so that I can, they can rebuild so that I'll be stronger down the road. And so, well, if that's true, then it's also true. Then I have to hold true that same thing spiritually. God's got to break you down sometimes, knock you off your pedestal and your high horse, break you down so that he can build you up and strengthen you so that down the road you can handle more. So if I'm going to trust it physically, spiritually, it's the same thing. And I began to enjoy the grind physically. I, I love, yeah, you know, it's weird even saying to people sometimes, it's like those, those, those winter seasons in your life, you know, where you really have to press into the Lord and trust him. I, I've learned to love those because I know that I'm being strengthened and I know that I'm being restored and built up to be stronger down the road. So when you, become, when you get in those winter months, don't, don't throw a pity party for yourself and say, God, why me? It's like, no, he's blessing you with allowing you to go through and suffer and struggle through things. Because without that, you're just going to stay stagnant and stay complacent. Grind it out, right? Yeah, hard, hard to do in those moments. You know, but it's, it's a, uh, it is a beautiful thing when you're on the side to say, like, God really was working through that. He was pursuing me. Even in the midst of crazy rebellion, Right, the Lord is speaking and pursuing and coming after you, and uh, that's a beautiful thing. And that, that's true for everybody in here. Wherever you find yourself, God is pursuing you, even if your your relationship is great and you're like, I'm, you know, doing everything that I feel like I should be doing, and I'm hearing from the Lord. God is still pursuing you, wants to take you deeper, so you can have an impact on the kingdom because this world desperately needs you to be sold out and surrendered, you know. And um, let's talk about this last one which is on the same picture, but yeah. So the last one I, I just got a couple of weeks ago, and it's the pocket watch and the time is on 614 because like I said uh, earlier, June of 2016 is when I said, this is my relationship with the Lord or June of 2014. Yep. Uh, that's, that's why I'm here to correct dates. That's right. Uh, so 
I was like, that's when I nailed it down. And I wanted to find a way to kind of commemorate that um, in a tattoo. And um, I was able to get my grandfather's pocket watch. And my mom's parents hate tattoos, like absolutely hate them. I, I showed my, my grandmother new tattoos. She just covers her eyes. was like, I'm not looking at it. So I was like, well, maybe if I use my grandfather's pocket watch, they'll like them. And they still don't really like it. So but nonetheless, it was kind of cool to at least have my grandfather's watch. But I got it just as a commemoration. Like, that's when I nailed it down. And it was just kind of a cool way for me to, um, to be able to commemorate that. And, you know, something I, I didn't mention earlier that I did in the first service is I believe in my heart that whatever the Lord puts a passion for in your heart, he can use that or will use that to speak to you and to speak through you to other people right? Whether that's for me, tattoos or sports or cooking or your job or whatever it is. God puts passions and desires in our heart. And when we pursue those with a mindset of honoring him with that, right? Because you can easily abuse a passion the Lord might give you. It's very easy to abuse it. But if you do it in the right manner, God will use that to speak to you and through you. And um, a story I told earlier is, how many of y'all were here when Esposito spoke a couple weeks ago? Right? Talked about, you know, just spitting the gospel in the, in the, in the, Jam with no naked, clothes on. Naked evangelism. Yeah. Naked evangelism. Well, I had a couple, I had, I had a few more layers of clothes on than Esposito did at the gym a couple times. But same thing, two different instances. All right. The Lord spoke to me in many tattoos, like I've said, but he's also spoke through me. And there was a time we were sitting in a sauna and I didn't have a shirt on. And my, you know, a guy was sitting to my right. So my arm was right there with the Romans one on there. And he, uh, he's like, oh man, I really like that. I said, thanks. You know, we start kind of talking and he was a Latin guy. I was like, I just, I just got saved recently. And, you know, I'm trying to get my family involved in church and I'm trying to be a good husband and a good father now and, and able to spend 10 to 20 minutes or sitting in a sauna, like talking to him about, about, about the Lord and, and just kind of trying to encourage him and speak with him and all derived from just, I like your tattoo. I like what it says and what it means. Cool. Well, I'm going to speak through that then to try to touch somebody else's life. A couple weeks ago, um, about a year ago, there's a guy at our gym, or a guy at my gym where I uh, work out at, and he was covered in tattoos. At the time, I only had a couple of them, so I felt worthy enough to say hey to him. Um, and so, you know, I was like, hey, man, I like your tattoos. He's a big old guy, and, you know, he started talking to me. He's actually a lot nicer than I thought he was going to be, which was great. But uh, we started just kind of ch- chatting it up, and I hadn't seen him in months, and maybe even close to a year. And I saw him a couple weeks ago, and I was like, Mike, right? He's like, yeah. And he recognized who I was. And we just kind of got to chat. And I was like, well, how you been? He's like, man, I've been in and out of the hospital for the last quite a few months. I got some disease that the doctors have no idea what it is. And I'll just wake up and just throw up for three or four days uncontrollably with the point to where I'm, you know, just shriveled up in bed for days. And I'll go to the hospital and they're like, well, you know, just send you on your way because we don't know what's going on. And he just started talking about how frustrated he was and, you know, how much it sucked. And, you know, I didn't really say much. I let him kind of talk. And I, before I got to the gym that morning, I'd pray, you know, just kind of praying, like, Lord, use me today. And God said, oh, you asked for it. Here it is. And had this gut feeling of where I wanted to kind of throw up. And he's like, pray for this guy. It's like, okay. So, I, you know, he was talking and obviously didn't really have an understanding of who the Lord was. Kind of had an understanding, but wasn't walking with him. It was very evident by, you know, how he was talking. And so I was like, can I pray for you? He was like, yeah, that'd be awesome, sure. So like, okay, so we started praying for this guy. And I just kind of left it at that. And I went and showered and came back. And he was like, so where do you go to church? You know, he's like, 
well, I, I kind of go to 12 stone and he, he started just talking to me about the, about the word. I don't have to say anything else to him, but the Lord used that down the road as an opening to pray for this guy and talk to him. And it kind of sparked his interest again and in, in, in talking about church and talking about prayer and stuff. And guys, if you, if you listen to the callings that the Lord has on your heart, it's like, he will use that to speak to you and through you. It's awesome, man. It's awesome. Um, I know each one of you have heard a section of the story, and it's not you that you identify with because it's not a unique story to a pastor's kid. This is a, a guy who learned over a short period of time that he needed to own his faith. He couldn't just have it inherited from his dad or inherited from his mom. He had to own it. And that's true for each one of us. And I know when you listen to that story, you go, yeah, I remember that. I can, I can be like that. Or I'm doing this right now. And our thing we say all the time since the day I got here was we want to struggle well and we want to move forward. And that's our prayer for each one of you. My prayer for Benji, who's in a great place right now. I mean, he's leading a small group of a whole bunch of young men, some who are on the stage and stuff, and they're rocking it. Can you give a quick little nugget about Yeah, that? so a couple, I had some things going on a couple months ago, and I was, I was helping lead a small group out of 12 stone. We had like 50 or 60 guys that were kind of registered to that group, and so we were huge. And I was able to help kind of lead through that, and some stuff was going on, the Lord was like, you need to take a step back. Like, all right, I'll, I'll take a step back. I don't know what it looks like, but I know I need to step away. So I called, talked to the guys. I'm going to take a step back. And as soon as I did, the Lord's like, okay, now all these guys that are at your house all the time, you know, Rager, Luke, Nick, Chubbs, uh, you know, Brass, all these guys, like start mentoring these guys and start something with them. And after talking to so many of them, it's like we got tired of the stereotypical Bible study. It's like we're going to show up. We're going to say a passage. We'll give a couple Sunday school answers. See you next week. It's like, well, we're not growing any deeper with that, right? And we kind of got tired of that every single week and every time we went to a study. And so we kind of based our group off of James five sixteen that says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other, and there's healing in that, and that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. So it's like, okay, so if we really want to grow and get deeper, well, the stuff, the conversations that when they're brought up that make you want to go hide in a corner and puke and just kind of curl up in a ball, those are the conversations that we want to have because most of the time or all the time, those are the ones that need to be had, right? That's usually the stuff that you're hiding and that is restricting you and holding you back from so much. So if we want to grow, well, then we need to get rid of all the crap that we're holding on to that's hindering us. So we base that group in. We're going to show up. We'll pray. If we sit there in awkward silence for an hour until someone speaks, well, you know, so be it. So, but we want to get the stuff out, right? What's going on deep down in your heart, right? What are you struggling with? You know, what kind of sin are you dealing with, right? Praying for each other. Because I've seen it in my life and so many other guys. My accountability partner, um, Norell, that we played college ball with, he's here. And, and going through the stage of when we were surrendered our lives to the Lord, we did it basically at the same time. So we were walking together, right? We became uh, accountable to each other and praying for each other, calling each other all the time. And there's so much healing in my own life that's derived from that. It's like, I want to see those guys be able to go through the same thing, right? So we started out, started that group, and the first week, I almost just canned it because I think, what's the point? Like, really, what, what's going to happen, and is it really going to be worth it? Guys, when the Lord puts a calling in your heart, right, and he opens up a door for you to walk through, just walk through it. Even if you don't know what it looks like, if he opens something up and is calling you to something, he's going to be... Um, 
or he is, he'll, he'll, he's going to take care of the rest. He's going he's gonna to fill in those empty spots that you can't look, you know, that you can't see. You know, why, why deny it and go down the road and get swallowed up by a whale and spit out just to do it anyways, right? Like, it's a lot easier just to do it the first time, you know? And, and so I was like, I don't know what it looks like, Lord, but if I'm going to do this, you have to show up every week. It's like, Lord, show up. And every week, it's like guys are getting stuff off their chest. We're praying for each other. We're talking to each other. We had a stinking dude we had prayed for for weeks. Shows up. It's like, I really don't ever walk with the Lord. Why? Right, well, let's talk about it. Let's see what it looks like. And we're going to talk to you about it. We're going to pray with you. And we're going to pray for you every single day. Last week, he's like, I want it. I'm tired of this. Like, I want to know who Jesus is. And I want that real personal relationship. So we were able to pray with him, man. He's like, wow, I feel awesome. I'm like, well, yeah. Like, why, why wait any longer? Like, just stink and do it. Don't give me these excuses of I'm scared, I'm not qualified. I was scared to death to come up here and talk to you guys, right? I'm used to five or ten people in a small group. I'm comfortable there. Just do it. Do you trust the Lord's going to take care of you and that he'll use you and speak through you and fill those empty gaps? Yeah, you've shown me that you're trustworthy. So get out there and do it, right? Why wait? Why hold back any longer? Awesome. God is trustworthy. True. Surrender. Give it up for Benji. So he asked the question, how many of y'all got tattoos? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, 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 how many of you, when you first were introduced uh, to the church or anything spiritual, was told that tattoos were straight from hell? Come on, Esposito, you know it. God wants to redeem your story. Seriously. I mean, I remember at 16, he's like, I want to get a tattoo. And I'm like, what you going to get? And now he looks like the USA Today. I'm just flipping from shoulder to shoulder and all of the ink on him. Here, here's the deal. Don't, don't miss this. Don't, don't miss this. So the Isaiah 40, 31, the big cross on his back, Jehovah Rapha. Believe me, I see him all the time. Romans 1, 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. This is what Paul says regarding the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. He says, I'm under obligation to share the gospel. He says in verse 15, I am eager to share the gospel. In verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is God's power unto salvation to everyone that believes. And then he says in verse 17, that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven. The gospel. And I think if anything at times in Southern culture church, we start to see that the gospel is trivialized and minimized. It's almost like activity replaces anointing and behavior replaces belief and productivity replaces the person of Christ. See, the gospel is God is holy. God is creator, establisher, perfecter of all things. So when I first saw that tattoo, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, I'm like, yes, 
God is holy. It declares the holiness of God. It declares that I realized that I was trying to live in the shadow of you and mom's faith and it wasn't working. I came to realize that I was a sinner alienated and separated from God. I came to realize that some 2,000 years ago, Jesus willfully walked the Via Della Rosa and died on Calvary's tree, was shredded and murdered for my sin. I, I believe he was placed in a tomb and on the third day he conquers death, hell, and the grave and he's resurrected and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he lives to make intercession. The gospel. The gospel is the good news. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered unto you as of first importance what was also delivered unto me, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and on the third day he was raised from the dead according to the scripture the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And so we are a gospel-centered fellowship here at the Cross Loganville. When they come up last Sunday, and the one kid that had prayed to receive Christ and had repented with tears dripping down his eyes, and he's wiping snot, and I'm hugging this boy. It didn't happen in a brick and stick facility. It happened at a fire pit where a bunch of wood and flames were going up into the air. And these guys are sitting around talking about their lives and about their walk with Christ and getting real and raw and authentic and transparent. Like what happened? He just surrendered to Christ. The gospel. The gospel. So no, we didn't let you watch certain movies. Wizard of Oz, I don't think, was part of that list. I think you just didn't want to watch that. You dumb and dumber and Christmas vacation fan. I mean, believe me, you watched movies. Some of that junk we did stay away from, believe me. And you were sheltered. And I'm glad. But he's embraced the gospel, and God is wanting you to embrace the gospel. I want you to hear me loud and clear. Some of you sit here week after week. Some of you have walked in here for the first time in weeks, and you haven't driven the stake in the ground. You don't have your 614 on the clock date. Mine would have been 1085, October of 85. And some of you don't have that date of surrender where you know it's legit in your soul and God's going when are you going to surrender I mean you hear the postmodern arguments I mean you guys I mean Rager and Tyler and Narell and Jesse and Marshall and Luke and uh, the beat goes on I can mention all these guys who are 19 20 21 whatever postmodern culture all the arguments of science and math. Stop, stop it. Stop it. What are you going to do with Jesus and the gospel? When are you going to surrender to the gospel? Some of y'all grew up in the church. Some of you grew up going to a Christian school. And you've drifted away. And this is, this is, this, this is what God gives John on the Isle of Patmos. As he writes to the seven churches and the church in Ephesus, he goes, hey, 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 your behavior, so-so, but I've got this against you. 
you've abandoned your first love. You've left your first love. You didn't lose it. You just left it. You've walked away from it. You don't have your first love. And God is saying, you need to get back to your first love. The love of Abba. I want you to know that I love you. I've been chasing you. I've been pursuing you. And you're trying to fill your soul and the whole inside of you with these less wild lovers. And it's not working. So that, that's, that's, that's where we're going to kind of wrap it. There. Will you respond to the gospel? Will you surrender to the gospel? Will you declare the lordship of Jesus and embrace totally the gospel? So you went out and partied and drank and raised hell and you got busted and you got a citation for open container when you were younger and you were under age. And, okay, I, but you've surrendered to the gospel. You've surrendered to the gospel. Have you surrendered to the gospel? And then you see a 21-year-old dude up here, and you're going, God's been telling me to do a small group. God's been telling me to share my faith with my friends. God's been telling me to reach out. And I've used every stinking excuse you can imagine. And God is saying, do you really care about your friends? Then share with them the gospel. This thing would explode here if we surrendered to the gospel. And this thing, Chad, would explode here if we got off of our tails, Esposito, and started sharing the gospel.